0: All right. Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody again. Our last uh, service here, we've been able to spend the time this week together, and it feels feels more like uh, my church home at this point than my church home does, just because we've been together all week. And so, and it's good to be with you. And I love having the master clubs in here and the teenagers in here. And um, and I was I was uh, I received a blessing uh, when I came in. One of the teenagers told me that they watched me online. And to me, that was a blessing because, uh, if you're already on the computer, you got a lot of other options. And as you watched me, uh, it was, it was a blessing to me. So thank you for sharing that with me. And turn in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. When you're there, say, Hashinakanahan like Haozaka Zazuki. That's okay. Some of y'all are going to be thinking about that the rest of the service and not listening to what I say. I shouldn't have done that. All right, I'm going to start reading verse 21. We'll read, I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message. But again, I just want to make sure I take this opportunity, just in case I forget, at the end of the service. I do want to thank you very, very much for having me. Thank you for uh, putting us up in a hotel and trying to make life easy for us so we don't have to worry about other things so we can focus on this. And it has been a blessing. Thank you, Pastor, for your graciousness and just uh, the time you've given to, to, to spend with me so we can catch up and stuff. I do appreciate that. And um, and to the different church members that uh, have said encouraging words to me and uh, uh, taken the time to talk to me, I appreciate that as well. And um, uh, we're going to miss it when we have to go back to real life. (laughs) And so, uh, but let's look together here. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-one. The Bible says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not." For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Let's pray. Lord God, I do love you, and I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for uh, the opportunity to serve you and to speak for you and to preach. I don't take it lightly, God. I would have never chosen it for myself, but after yielding to you, I realized the blessing that is in being obedient to you. And God, I pray right now, as I yield myself to you, that you would bless, bless the preaching of this uh, this thought, this message from your word. I pray, Father, that it would strengthen the believer and it would encourage folks to live a selfless, selfless life for others. Bless this time, for Christ's sake. Amen. So, here in the scripture, Paul was writing to the Philippians from prison after experiencing many struggles for the cause of Christ. We went over some of those this week. And he's making a bit of a pros and cons list for life. He's, he's talking about how he feels like he's coming to the end of his journey on this earth. And he's making this pros and cons list. This uh, What do I get for if I stay living on this earth? And what happens if I die? And, and he said, I don't want... I don't know what to choose. I don't know what I want more. I'm kind of stuck in the middle of this decision. And he says, if I live, it's Christ's will. But I'm stuck in this flesh. And you remember, he had these issues with, uh, uh, that he had discussed in the Scripture, this thorn in the flesh, and whatever it was, and all these other things that we do know, the imprisonments, the, uh, the perils, the being beaten, all these things that he suffered in his flesh. He said, if I live, I suffer in my flesh. He said that if I live, I have more work to do. And he realized, and just saying how he could not just sit back and take anything easy. He had things that he always did. Every every uh, Sabbath, he walked into a synagogue somewhere and he got up and he preached Christ to a bunch of Hebrews. And he told them that Jesus was the Messiah and that they butchered him on the cross and that they needed to repent. And they would either uh, uh, believe him or they would chase him out of town and try to kill him. He did that every Saturday. Over and over, that was his custom. That's what he did until he started a church, and then he went somewhere else and did it again. But he put people in a position where it's like, you either believe or I'm going to make you so mad or you're going to try to kill me. And he said, if I stay here, it's going to be more pain in my flesh. It's going to be more pain and suffering that I'm going to have to deal with, and it's going to be more work for me to do. And I'm getting old. I've been at it for a while. And he says, but if I die, he says, to die is gain. He even said, I desire to part. You understand? He said, if I die and I depart, I'll be with Christ. And he says it is far better. And understand that it is far better. And we can think of all the things in life, and it's, it's, it says it right there in the passage, it would be far better. And we have things in this world that we don't like. And right now, if we could leave where we're at right now, and things may be good, but we all experience bad times, but even the best thing that we experience in this life, to be with Christ, would be far better. I love my family. I have a great family. I love this woman with all my heart, and these two kids are, kids are great. And if you haven't met my daughter, she may be the best thing in the world. I don't know. But you understand that even as amazing as my life is with my family, to be with Christ would be far better. And Paul was saying, I'm in this position and I'm trying to think. I don't know uh, uh, what would be best right now. Should I keep working? Should I keep suffering in my flesh? Should I keep doing this laborious life that God's called me to? Or should I just go home to be with Jesus? I know it would be better to go home with Him. I know it would be better. There would be no more suffering, no more pain. Whatever that thorn in the flesh was, uh, was, it would be gone. Whatever the suffering that He was going to face ahead of Him, it would be gone. He would never have to worry about it. He could go be with Christ. That Christ that He lived for and He gave His life for, He could be with Him and see Him face to face and imagine someone who loved God so much he went around starting churches everywhere. He went around giving his life for Christ to finally see Him face to face and say, God, this is what I did for You. And he's at this crossroads and and he says this. He said, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. To abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He said, I want to go be with Jesus, but you need me. You understand? He said, I want to go see my Savior's face, but you need me. You understand? He couldn't go to heaven yet, not because He didn't want to, not because He wasn't ready, but because there was somebody still on this earth that needed Him! And you understand, folks, that when you got saved, God could have taken you home right then. And I believe with all my heart that when God saves us, He gives us things inside of us that we don't understand, spiritual gifts. And He puts them there because somebody else needs us. And there's somebody out there that needs you. He said, I'd rather see Jesus, but somebody needs me. I'd rather enter into his rest. The Bible says there is a rest for the people of God. He said, I'd rather claim and cast my crowns. Think about it. We get to heaven and God says, good job. Here's this crown. What exactly it is, I don't know. But whatever it is, it must be pretty special. And he says, here you go. And then we'll take that crown and we'll say, if this is valuable. I want to give it back to you. And we'll pass them at his feet. And he said, I, I, I could go do that. He said, I would love to receive that glorified body. No more pain. No more suffering. I'd love to reunite with with those loved ones that had gone before me and those people that he saw. Imagine that when he went to Jerusalem and saw those pastors there, by this point when he wrote this, many of them were murdered already. Martyred already. Beheaded. Crucified. He'd be done with this world. With all the evils of the world that attacked him for his stand for Christ. He would be done with with it all. But he said, I have to put up with it because somebody needs me, because you need me. If I stay, it's more needful for you. You say, who needed Paul? It was those Christians at Philippi and Galatia and Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. Those Christians needed him. Those Christians from Rome all the way back to Jerusalem needed Paul. There was young pastors like Timothy and Titus that needed Paul. There were Jews and Gentiles that needed him. There were widows and fatherless that needed him. There were ignorant Athenians, and there were noble Bereans, but they all needed him. They needed him to pray for them. You notice he always says, I cease not to pray for you, and he prayed for them by name. He was a prayer warrior, and they needed him because he was praying for them. They needed him because he reasoned from the Scriptures with them, and he taught them, he said, and he took the time and the effort and the energy to help them understand why all that stuff they studied in the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Christ. They needed him to be an example of how to follow Christ. They needed him to start churches and train pastors. They needed him to write Scripture as God moved them. They needed him to suffer for Christ for them. Paul was called to suffer for Christ in the ministry of the Gospel. They needed him to reveal God's Son to them through his own life. And I myself, I feel like, you know, this Bible is written for us. You know, uh, my pastor, he says that not everything in this Bible is written to you, but everything is written for you. And we can look at the Old Testament and we can say, oh, those are Old Testament laws that apply to Jews, and that's fine and dandy. But it may not be written to you, but it is definitely written for you. God gave you all this Scripture for a reason. And when I see Paul, who if anybody that I can look to as a biblical example, like I can say, Yeah, he was great, but he did his job. He did a lot. He did more than I could ever dream of doing. And if anybody wanted to check out and retire and be done, I should be able to say, Paul, I think you've done enough. But Paul said, I can't stop. I can't quit. I can't go home because somebody needs me. And myself, me right here, I know that I can't look at life as it's time to retire. I can't look at life as it's time to give up. It's not time for me to quit. I can't get so tired of the things going on out there that I say I'm done with it. No, because somebody needs me. Somebody needs me to preach this word. Somebody needs me to tell them about Christ. Somebody needs me to pray for them. Somebody needs for me to teach them some truths from scripture. Somebody needs me. Somebody needs me so I can be recorded and put on YouTube so a teenager can watch it. Somebody needs me. The reason God didn't take you straight home to be with Him in that moment you got saved is because someone here still needs you. If you're alive, you are needed. And you need to believe that. And so tonight, my question is, who needs you? So I want you to ask yourself three, three questions, actually. My title is Who Needs You? But I want to ask you three questions. And the first question is, who needs you? And I am just trying to make you think about this. Sometimes we fail to see the need, even though it's all around us. But let me just start where it's closest to home, literally. Your family needs you. You understand your family needs you. Now, keep in mind, some of this may seem very simple, but we've got three points in this message that all tie together. But we're going to start with just identifying who needs us. Your family needs you. My kids over here, they need me. That woman right there, she needs me. And you understand that uh, I've heard so many pastors, I've heard so many preachers get up and talk about their life and how God called them into ministry, and they mention that it was a praying mom. It was a praying dad. Listen, grandparents, it was a praying grandma or a praying grandpa that prayed them out of sin and into the ministry. Prayed them out of the devil's hand and into God's hand. And there's people, and I've heard it this week, of people who've come and they've come to Christ because of a praying mom. You understand that there's people in your home, in your family that need you. There's people in your church that need you. The next generation of believers. I am glad that Masters Club is in here and these teenagers are in here. I'm really happy about it because you know what the truth is? Is that this is the next generation of believers. You who sit on these pews and you may have been here for years. When you're gone, who teaches the Sunday school classes? When you're gone, who runs the bus route? When you're gone, who leads the singing? Who plays the piano? There's a future generation of believers that are sitting in this room and what's going to happen is either we're going to grab their hearts and get them connected with God in a way that they'll be here in 30, 40, 50 years or we're going to let them slip through and not realize the need and then who does it? They need us. Church, there's people in this church right now sitting here in the same room with you and you may not realize it but they have a need and their need is You! Young adults entering into the real world, going from high school to college, across the board, about two-thirds of them, quit going to church after high school. Two-thirds of them quit going to church after high school. How many of y'all are in high school? Who's in high school here? One, two, three. Are you in high school? One, two, three. Are you in high school? One, two, three. I said raise your hand. Now I'm talking to people who don't have their hands raised. That's one, two, three, four. Okay. I can't do the math with four. I was, I was trying to get to six and then say four of y'all ain't, ain't going to stay in church after you get out of high school, but I can't do the math, so I'm going to give up move on. Listen, those Sunday school children, I love this. I love this thought. I, uh, I read the autobiography. Actually, I never did finish it. I read the autobiography, or not the, the biography, I think his son wrote it, of D.L. Moody. If you know who D.L. Moody was, started Moody Institute in Chicago, preached great revivals, went over to Europe, preached great revivals. I couldn't read it all. I, used to, I would just start crying I would start weeping when I would try to read it. They called him Crazy Moody. He would get a donkey, and he'd put the little saddlebag on the donkey and fill the pockets up with candy, and he would go up and down the streets of Chicago giving candy to kids, saying, follow me to Sunday school, follow me to Sunday school. And he, he's led thousands of people to the Lord. Oh, he he had so many kids saved, and he went out there and did that. They called him Crazy Moody, did more for God than than most people would ever dream to. When he was a young man, a Sunday school teacher, found out where he worked, went to his job while he was working, and went in the back of that shoe store, family-owned shoe store, while he was working, was so burdened that he would get saved. That he went to his job, but he gave him the gospel, and D.L. Moody got saved. And he reached so many people, and you know the truth is, is that D.L. Moody is an amazing man of God, but he got saved because of a Sunday school teacher who loved him and knew that that little boy needs me. I'll never forget hearing the story of uh, Brother Howell I went to Howells Anderson College, Jack Howells named, was named after him. Founded the college but him telling the story of being a kid, a little five-year-old boy in Texas, and didn't own a pair of shoes. And his mom took him to Sunday school. And the teacher, Sunday school teacher, pulling him up on his lap, him crying, and he said, do you think God loves me as much as he loves the little boys with shoes? And that teacher gave an answer that I think was worth saying at the time. She said, I think God may love you more. And he got saved. And then years later, he was given a recognition for having the world's largest Sunday school. But he was led to the Lord by a Sunday school teacher. It's a huge deal what we do. And somebody needs you, Sunday school teacher. You know, think about those bus kids that come in and sit in your classes. You know, I told you the story already this week. For those who weren't here, I'll tell you again. Uh, I got saved on a bus. I got saved on a Sunday school bus. Who here? Anybody here, ride the, you ride the bus down to church, that's how you get here on Sundays and stuff? Let me tell you, kids, I, I sat where you sit. I was a bus kid, and they came to my house. But I'm going to tell you the whole story. Did I tell you all the story about they were fighting for me? They, everybody want me to be on their bus? Okay, yeah, yeah. So just, just real quick, they, they were having a competition. They had two bus routes at that church. They were having a competition to see which bus captain could get the most weight on their bus. And so you would get on the bus, and when you got off the bus, you would step onto a scale, and they would add up the weight, and whichever bus happened to have the most weight went on, and they were fighting for me because I was the fat kid. And so it's okay. You can laugh. I'm laughing at myself. But you understand, I've heard people in the ministry, and I'm sure you have too, Pastor, people who criticize bus ministry. They criticize and they say, oh, churches just do that so they can make it look big. You know, they have uh, uh, 20 families that drive in, but they bring 100 kids on the bus so they look like they're uh, a big church when they're not. And dumb things like that. I think that's so stupid. I think it's so dumb to criticize bus ministry. And I've heard people talk about, you know, where are those bus kids now? Right here. That's where they are. They're preaching. They're preaching tonight. Bus kid. Again, my question to you is who needs you? What Sunday school kid needs you? What future generation of believers that sits in this room needs you? What bus kid, what missionary needs you? There's different spiritual gifts. Of those spiritual gifts, one listed in the Bible is the gift of giving. And I've known people who they come to church and they sit in the church and they are the quietest, most meek person and they don't, they don't uh, stand out as anything special. But I, I, I would find out that they give crazy amounts to missions. And you understand that if that is how God has gifted you, there are missionaries on foreign fields that need you. And one day when you get to heaven and your life is over on this earth, and you're going to see these people lined up to shake your hand, and you're going to say, who are you? I don't know who you are. And they're going to tell you that I am the kid, I am the man, I am the woman that got saved because of a missionary that you sent with your money. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. I think about those shut-ins. and This always gets me, Pastor. This church has been around before you got here, right? There's people who gave their lives to this. But they're not here now. They might be shut-in down the street. But they gave their lives for this at one point. They gave their energy. They gave their time. They gave their money. They put all of their, their energy into this to try to make something here. And now we all sit here and enjoy it and they're almost forgotten about somewhere. You know what they need? They need somebody to care and call them. They need somebody to go by and say, hey, I sit in a nice place right now, and I know it's because of you. Thank you. You know, they already gave. Now they're the ones that have the need. And there's people like that all over the place, and it breaks my heart, and sometimes we take for granted the things that we have and don't realize what people that we don't even know did so we can have it. There's hurting and lonely out there. There's people that have needs that we don't know. But God left us here to be need fillers. I'm tell you, I don't I don't I would never want to embarrass anybody. But I'm just gonna tell you, Pastor asked me Sunday morning, he said, Brother Phil, could you just come stand right there? And as he did, I looked up and a woman came down the altar or came down the aisle here with tears running down her face. I still don't know the story. But she's hurting. You understand she was hurting. She had needs, and she got saved, amen. amen. She got saved Sunday morning, and I praise the Lord for that. And you understand that that's why this church is here. There's a lot of things we can do. I want to come back from the, for the stakeout so bad, you don't understand. I don't know why, I just love it. I keep thinking about we should come back for the stakeout, right? Liam's the first amen he ever said in church, right there. I want to come back so bad, so God didn't put us here for steak. If you ever want to know why this church is here, it's because of that lady who walked down the aisle with tears in her face and got born again. That's why this church is here. I keep walking away from outline and I forget what I was going to say. I gotta go back up here. Sorry. I do it all the time. You think I'd learn. Listen, this may seem a little uh, uh biased here because the pastor's my friend, but but the pastor and the pastor's wife need you. You understand the pastor and the pastor's wife need you. And I'm just going to tell you, and it's a little embarrassing with him sitting in the room, but there's things that your pastor goes through, and he doesn't have a pastor to go to. He's not always going to have some shoulder to lean on. And he's got to be strong for you. And there's things that he's going to deal with that he's not going to tell you that it's a problem. He's going to try to just go to God and and, and have God fix it. But you know what he needs? He needs a church that says, hey, pastor, love you. Cause look, you better believe me that he goes to God. He says, God, I love these people. God, help these people. I love these people. You know what he needs? He needs somebody to come up and say, Pastor, you know, I know you love me. And I love you too. And the pastor's wife, love you too. And they need that. My wife has a ministry, make your day better ministry. I'm telling you, she does everywhere she goes. She tries to, she bought the lady in, at the uh, hotel, the, she bought her a coffee the other day and brought her her a latte. Six dollar latte for this complete stranger, just to make her day better. I watched her week after week after week after week after week at our church show up with a coffee for the pastor and his wife. All that was was her way of saying, hey, love you. I'm not, I'm not telling you you need to buy stuff for your pastor. I'm saying that you need to realize what your, God gave you your pastor, and he needs you as much as you need him. Now, the world needs you. Lost souls headed for a real hell. Lost souls headed for a real hell. Connecticut needs you. The eastern shore board needs you. This, this whole region needs you. Those people who disagree with us need us. You understand? People who are, you say, well, what about all the, the heathens? There's a bunch of heathens up in the northeast. Well, that's even more reason why you're here. They need us. And you say, but what about the people who are uh, ungodly and against God and actively against God? They need you. You understand? And I've said it this week and I'm going to say it again. This is something that God's really dealt with me in my heart because I started developing bitterness against people who believe differently than me. And then God reminded me and God used my wife to help remind me of this when she looked at me one day and she said, why do you expect unchristian people to act Christian?" Why do you expect ungodly people to act godly? And I was like, well, duh, I don't. But that's what I was doing. I was upset with them because they weren't lining up with what I believe. The reason they don't line up with what I believe is because I'm not praying for them. I'm not witnessing to them. I'm not teaching them. I'm not showing them. I'm not being light and I'm not being salt. You see, the last thing we need to do is sit here angry at the world and those who disagree with us and who are against God, realizing that Jesus died for the ungodly. And they need us. They need us. My question to you, number one, is who needs you? Who needs you? Question number two, who do they need you to be? Who do they need you to be? Do you understand? This world, if I'm going to do what God's called me to do, I need to represent God. I need to have a sense of godliness. Now, y'all have already figured out that I ain't perfect. (laughs) Y'all have probably uh, scratched your head several times and thought, this guy is a little odd. And that's okay. But I know that for me to go to this church and help you and go to another church and help them, that you need me to walk with God. You need me to pray. You need me to be in the Bible. You need me to study and know what I'm talking about. Not to make me look smart, but because the Word of God is what changes lives, like that song that they sung Sunday morning. God's Word changes lives. And we need to be godly. We need to walk with God. We need to put on the whole armor of God that we talked about. And listen, I encourage you, jump in on this series that your pastor is preaching on the whole armor of God. It will be a blessing to you, but we need to put on the whole armor of God. This world that needs me, your family that needs you, this, this community that needs you, these bus kids and Sunday school kids that need you, they need you to be defending yourself from the walls of the devil. Because what happens when you care for somebody else, you get a target on your back. You understand, when I say, hey, I'm going to go preach and I'm going to try to get people saved and I'm going to try to teach people the Word of God and I'm going to try to get people to draw close to God and I'm going to try to encourage them, the devil says, this guy's going to mess up what I'm trying to do and I have a target on my back now and so what I need to do is make sure that I am putting on that whole armor of God because now I am in a fight with Him trying to help you fight Him. And you understand that when you do that, when you put on that Master's Club shirt back there and you start helping these kids, you just put a target on your back. And when you go out there and you get on that bus and you start going up and down these streets trying to sign kids up and bring kids to Sunday school, you put a target on your back. And you understand that when you do that, when you get one of those life group or life stages or life, life, life groups, you get in a life group and you start teaching, guess what? You just got a target on your back. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to remind you that you need the armor of God so you can withstand and having done all to stand. Because they need you. And they need you to be fully armored. They need you to be suited up and ready for war, spiritual war. They need you to be consistent. You understand that this is this is one area that when people who are still on the fence are watching, when you stop, when you show inconsistency, they go, see, told you. But when you keep going and you keep going and you keep going, they say, maybe it's real. They need us to be consistent like we talked about. Consistent in prayer. Consistent in Bible. Consistent in church. Consistent in church. Consistent in giving. Consistent in witnessing. They need us to be contrite like we also talked about where those things that would make it hard for God to bless us. You understand? God wants to bless us. God want, God is looking for a place to pour out the blessing. But He don't pour His blessing in dirty vessels. And when the dirt that is in us doesn't bother us, how can God use us? You understand? We have to say, you know what? For their sake, I can't do this. For their sake, i got to clean this up in my life. For their sake, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be holy, set apart for God, because somebody needs me. Those that need me, they need me to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, just like we talked about. My family needs me, but they don't need me bitter. The churches I'm going to go to, I, I sincerely believe there's going to be people sitting in those pews that need me, but they don't need me to be bitter. They don't need me to be angry. They don't need me to be uh, 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 having sin in my heart of envy or jealousy or any of those other things. The people who need us need, to be, need us to be filled with the Spirit. They need us to be yielded to God. I love the story that talks about Joshua, and I want you to just think about this a little bit. Joshua takes over after the man of God, Moses, dies. Moses on the mountain looks out. He sees a promised land. But because of disobedience, he wasn't allowed to enter. Joshua picks up that mantle. And Joshua is a new leader of the nation of Israel. And it is the time they're going to cross that Jordan River. They're going to go into the promised land. And they're going to take over. They're going to get that possession that God's given to them. Listen to me. Joshua spending time with God. And God says, Joshua, this is what you're going to do. You're going to lead those people and you're going to take over this land. But listen, you need to be bold and courageous. And he tells them again, he says, you're going to go in there, you're going to do this, this, and this. But he tells them, you need to be bold and courageous. Tells them uh, some more things. He says, you're going to make sure those people do it, and you're you're going to have to be bold and courageous. Listen, the next chapter, he goes to the people and says, hey, I'm the new leader. We're going in. This is the way it's going to be. And they look at him and say, okay, we'll follow you if you're bold and courageous. God already told him. What those people who needed him needed him to be. Because he was with God, he already knew. There's people out there that need us, but who do they need us to be? And lastly, what am I doing to become that person? You see, there's people out there that need me, but they need me to be a certain way. They need me to be godly. They need me to walk with God. They need me to do right in the sight of the Lord. What am I doing right now to become that person? I like how Acts starts. It says, The former treaties I have I made, with Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. I just like the fact that he reminds me. He says, All these things that Jesus came, he came to do and teach. Yes, he was a mighty a master teacher. And everywhere he went, they would call him uh, Master. They would call him Rabboni. They looked to him as a teacher. But he didn't come just to teach. Came to do, you see. You go through the Book of Acts; the whole book is a book of action, and it was doing. My question is, what do I need to do? You see, uh, somebody was asking me the other day about classes I took at college, and told me it doesn't. And I'm just going to use this for illustration. It doesn't. This doesn't really matter, but it just makes the point. I went to a college where they they wouldn't call. Preaching class, uh, homiletics. You know, homiletics just means preaching. But they wouldn't call that pre- uh, homiletics; they called it preaching because they didn't want us to feel like it was some sophisticated thing. It's just preaching. It's not a. They don't. Uh, the college I went to. They said they. they uh, well, the, uh, Brother House who founded the college, he used to hate the term theologian because he felt like theologians talked about what they knew but didn't do anything. You understand? The people who need you, they don't need you just to know something. They need you to do some things. And what are we doing to become the person that those people need us to be? How much time do we spend in prayer? And and again, it's like we could talk about it, but what really makes the difference is you I wouldn't care if you did it right now. Pull out your phone and set an alarm for tomorrow morning that says read your Bible at whatever time. Pull out your phone and make an alarm set for pray at whatever time. But we just, we need to do it. We need to get busy being the person you are right now becoming who you're going to be. You need to just start doing it. And so uh, I just encourage you, how much energy, ask yourself this, how much energy do I put into the cause of Christ? You know, if you think about how much energy you have for everything that you have, how much attention you have, how much energy, how much of yourself do you dedicate to anything during a day, and whatever that amount is, you make that 100%. Now, figure out what percent of that was for the cause of Christ. What are we doing? What do I have to do to become the best bus captain that this town's ever seen? What do I have to do to become a Sunday school teacher uh, uh, that's going to make a difference? What do I have to do to become a master club uh, 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 leader that's going to make a difference in these kids' lives? What do I have to do to become someone who, like the, the sweet testimony I heard this week, of someone who just uh, uh, walks up through their neighborhood every day, but they actually mail out invitations to their neighbors to church because they're not allowed to knock on their doors. They mail out invitations, and they walk around that neighborhood, and then they get to hear somebody come to them and say, Thank you for inviting me. And they, they, they come. What do you have to do to become that influence in your community? What do you have to do to become that prayer warrior that prays people out of sin and prays people down the aisle? And, and what do you have to do to become that soul winner who leads people to the Lord? How uh, Have you evaluated your life to see what things are lacking and what things need to be purged out to become that person? Have you given yourself over to God? Now, I believe it with all my heart. Look, I know that there was a day when I had a need. Understand, I needed someone to give me the gospel. And they did on the back of that Sunday school bus. I needed someone. There's a man named Cliff Burwell. You'll probably never, ever know who he was. And he was he was a hardcore, fundamentalist preacher. And he would probably scare 99% of y'all, including me. But... I needed his influence to push me for God. I needed him to say, oh, you got called to preach? Good. Guess what? I won't be there Wednesday. you got to preach. Because I wouldn't have done it. But he fulfilled a need that I had, and God used him for it. That, that man, Dave Sacco, who you'll never meet, he, he fulfilled a need that I had for salvation. You understand that the, the people who've influenced me in my life, they provided that need that I had to get where I am today. And there's other people coming up behind us. And you're the ones that they need. Have you given yourself to that? It's a way of thinking. Have you given yourself to that? One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I'll finish with this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Psalm 37.4. It says, It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I'm going to read it again. I want you to think about it. And I want you to think about what you think it means. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I want you to understand this, because this is such an easy verse to, to miss. It almost sounds like it's saying that if I am happy about God, he'll give me what I want. Right? That's what it sounds like it's saying. Listen, the word delight here, it means soft or pliable. The word delight here, it's not, it's not delight like, oh, that was delightful. I like it. The word delight here is if I said, hey, uh, i got these heavy boxes. Can you carry them for me? He doesn't want to carry the boxes. He's not going to enjoy the carrying the boxes, but he says, oh, I'm, I'll be delighted to. It's not going to make him happy, but he's willing to do it. When it says delight thyself also in the Lord, it's saying make yourself soft, pliable to God. And when you make yourself soft and pliable to God, God gives you the desire of your heart. Again, it's not saying He gives you what you want. Listen carefully. He doesn't give you what you desire. He gives you new desires. He gives you what you should desire. He changes your desire. When you yield to God and you say, God, it's no longer about me living my life, God. There's people out there that need me. And God, I'm going to yield to you. What do you want, God? When you make your heart soft and pliable, then He can say, This is the need. Is that family down the street? This is the need. Whereas before you wanted something else, now you want what God wants. I'll illustrate and close with this one. Uh, One Easter, Liam was going to go. I couldn't go because of work. He was going to go visit family for Easter, and I wasn't going to see him for like four days. He was about three or four years old. He was a little three three maybe. And... uh, and Liam was my Liam was my little buddy. That that age especially, he was he went everywhere with daddy, did everything with daddy, his little daddy's boy, right? And I missed them. It was a long weekend. I was very lonely. And they were all gone. And I missed them so much. And I couldn't wait for him to get home. And when he got home, he comes in the house. He's got an Easter basket. He's got all this candy. He's got, he's got all these stories. And he comes up and he was like, me and my cousins, we did this, this, and this. And we had an Easter egg hunt and look at my Easter. And we went to church and they did this and we did this and that and the other. And he's just so excited. Now, look, I missed him. All I wanted to do was to scoop him up in my arms. I just wanted You don't understand, uh, Liam gives these Liam hugs. And there's just not much like a Liam hug, okay? And I wanted a Liam hug so bad. It's like all I wanted in life in that moment. He's just going on about all this other stuff, Easter eggs and chocolate and this and that and Aunt Aunt Megan and and, and my cousin Noah and this and that and the other and blah, 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 blah. And I'm waiting patiently. And then he goes, can I watch TV? And he runs in the other room. I said, whoa, whoa, buddy, come here. And he's like, yes. He's not really listening to me. He He just wants to go, right? And I just looked at him for a second. I said, buddy, daddy was really sad without you. His little, his little lips started to quiver. He just put his arms up and he squeezed my neck. And in that moment, in that moment, all I could tell, all he wanted in the world in that moment was to give Daddy a hug. In that moment, because his heart was soft to me, I changed his desire from watching TV and playing to loving on Daddy. God, God. Says this is what I want. You see those people. I love them. I love those people. I want to help those people. I, I want to serve those people. I want to. I want to get those people saved. I want to pray for those people. I want to reach those people. And when we stop and say, God, yeah, I wanted this. I wanted that. But God, what do you want? Who do you need me to be? For those people who need me I thank God for the people who who listen to God and influence my life I thank God for those people and I hate the idea of there being more people out there that were like I was that they're just waiting for somebody to care enough about them He reached you he pulled you out the miry clay. And he's waiting. Who out there is waiting for you?